Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Anglican priest and author Tish Harrison Warren. Tish is a former colleague of ours at The Well and one of our favorite people to talk with. She has written two award-winning books and now has co-authored a new book that is coming out in a few months, this one for children. The title is Little Prayers for Ordinary Days, and it's a collection of everyday prayers geared for kids, but also truly relevant for adults in many ways, and it's really delightful. In this podcast, Tish and I talk about pandemic life and spiritual redemption and God's constant presence, and Tish shares some beautiful encouragement for listeners of our podcast. It's a lovely and rich conversation, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Tish Harrison Warren is a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. She is the author of Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, which won Christianity Today's 2018 Book of the Year, and Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep, which won Christianity Today's 2022 Book of the Year. Currently, Tish writes a weekly newsletter for the New York Times, and she is a columnist for Christianity Today. She lives with her husband and three children in the Austin, Texas area. And if you're listening in real time, we have a special offer for you from InterVarsity Press, a code for 30% off of Tish's books, even that one that isn't quite out yet, when you buy them at ivpress.com by February 23rd, 2022. Just use the code WELL22, all caps W-E-L-L-2-2. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. Tish, the last time we talked to you on the podcast was about a year ago, and it feels like a lot has happened since then. Your book, <laughs> Prayer in the Night, was released and won Christianity Today's Book of the Year, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And you also landed a regular column at the New York Times. And then in the middle of all that, your family moved from Pittsburgh to Texas. So yes. these are all amazing things, but how are you doing? I can <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> oh, it's so nice for you to ask. And, um, you know, the well was really the first place that I started writing. So it mm -hmm. feels like, and I worked with university for years. So when you ask, it feels like my community asking. So there's part of me that's like... <laughs> I could get real, this could become a counseling session. Like, like with most people I'd say fine, but I feel like I have to uh, be honest with you. Um, how am I doing, man? It's, I'm tired. Like it's been a pretty exhausting year. That's not unique. <laughs> it's COVID still. So, right. uh, and that that's been, it feels like a, 
some kind of like samba or something with COVID where it's like two steps forward and then like one step, like we're like shimmying forward and shimmying back. So Mm -hmm. that's been tiring. Um, And then uh, what else were we talking about the book? I mean, that the book has been largely like a beautiful experience. Um, Particularly I've, I've heard from lots of readers who have resonated with it and who then share stories of their own um, pain and trauma in life, which, you know, honestly, in many ways, I I didn't want to write this book or I was uncertain about writing this book. And um, one of the things that I remember saying, even in prayer at the time when I, when, when I felt like this book sort of was uh, nipping at my heels and, and I have this idea that kind of wouldn't go away is I don't want to write this book because everyone's going to tell me the worst thing that's ever happened to them if I write this book. And I can't, I just didn't, I didn't know if I could even emotionally handle that. And Mm I am, and I was concerned about, um, about what that would do to my faith to hear of everyone's dark moment, but it's what, here's what I didn't expect, which has been such a gift is is I knew that people would share with me the dark moments of their life. I mean, I knew that pers- partly because I had spoken on some of these themes before I wrote the book and everyone comes up afterwards to talk to you about their own grief. Like when, when you are vulnerable about your own grief and struggles with God's goodness in the midst of that, other people come and want to talk to you about that yeah. and tell you their stories. Mm-hmm. So I knew that would happen. What I wasn't expecting is story after story of how the worst thing happened and God was still there, Mm -hmm. like how they met, how they experienced grace in the middle of it. Yeah. So I was worried hearing all these stories would make it harder for me to believe, but I've ended up just hearing so many like testimonies, witnesses to everything fell apart in my life or I lost loved ones in my life and here's moments of grace in this and here's how I still believe and here's how beauty came from this or here's how redemption came I mean so that's been really lovely and then the the um reception of the book has been unbelievable I mean just tremendous so um that's been really good the New York Times thing, man, it was like a meteor hitting the earth and just the sense that um, I had would does not expect it was I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. I um, they contacted me about considering this job and wow. there's no part of me that ever thought I would, you know, pro- probably the New York Times would want to hear from me on about faith. Like that's not something that I ever right. considered. So um it was such a, um, it was, it was just out of nowhere and, Mm -hmm. um, has changed my life a lot in that (laughs) writing weekly is it's a, it's rigorous for sure. So, um, it has changed my, my family rhythm and life rhythm significantly. And I think I'm still adjusting to that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we all had COVID a month ago, uh, at the same time that the rest of America got it. So, um, that was exhausting. Like that, that was a hard, 
having to write full time. I did, I took a week off when, when I had COVID, but, um, but having to write full time with the kids home, that was, I don't want to ever have to do that again. (laughs) It was really, that was really tough. And the kids were a hundred percent fine. Really. I mean, COVID is generally so easy on children that they were, they were less sick than they would be with, with a cold or certainly less sick than something like a stomach bug. I mean, they, they were bouncing around and happy, but, um, but is it was, you know, you can't have childcare send them to school. So they right. a really long time. Yeah. yeah. So typically before this gig, because I was mostly writing books and um, was in ministry um, at a church, it was more flexible. And so I could say like, well, my kids are home and just not, I'm just gonna not work or work only while they're sleeping or, um, but it's, it, there's weekly deadlines. So this is a new kind of experience for me. Hi there. I'm interrupting our podcast for a 45 second announcement. You may know that The Well and our podcast, All Shall Be Well, are funded solely through donations. And we have an exciting development on that front. Through February 23rd, 2022 we have a limited time matching grant of $15,000. Any new or increased recurring gift doubles over the course of the next year. If you give now, you'll also be entered into our drawing for a box of treats, which will include a few books we've discussed on this podcast and a batch of my very favorite Butter Toffee Crunch shortbread cookies. You can learn more at thewell.intervarsity.org. Well, one of the things that I love about your writing, Tish, is the way that you you help to bring a spotlight of the holiness of the present moment and of the everyday um, event. And I want to make sure that we talk about this new book that you have coming out for children. And it's oh, called, yeah. right? It's called- You're Little- the first one to bring this up. Oh, <laughs> well, I I've read it. It's, this it's so fun. It's, um, and you know, so that our listeners know it's called little prayers for ordinary days, and it is a new genre for you, a children's book. And yeah. it's related to the ideas in liturgy of the ordinary. So, mm-hmm. I mean, tell us about this. How did this happen? And what, do, what are your hopes for it? Yeah. I wasn't thinking about writing a children's book, really. I, um, I really write books for adults, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I love kids, but I'm not like you, no one should hire me to be their children's minister. Like that is not (laughs) my gifting. Like I'm not like, I love my children. And like through that, I have come to love children as a whole, but Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm, I would not be a good elementary school teacher at all. So I'm not, Um, like I'm not like there's just some people that are like preternaturally gifted with kids and I don't feel like I'm one of those people so I really wasn't thinking about this I my friend Katie Hudson Katie Hudson Belzer she um is just a very like dear close friend of mine um from when I lived in Nashville and was working with university she was a neighbor and um 
anyway, longtime friend. And she is one of these preternaturally gifted with children people. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she just is great with kids and she has done lots of music stuff with children. She had a, a band called Cold, Cold Train Railroad um, that did blues and jazz music for children. And, nice. um, and yeah, it's great. And, uh, and then she was part of a group called Rain for Roots with Sandra McCracken and Flo Oaks. And I um, didn't know Flo as well, although we were friends. We went to the same church and um, hung out a few times. And so Katie and Flo, uh, Rain for Roots is a, is a band that makes worship music for kids. Um, cool. and it, and they're really good. Um, and so I, we had their albums. I knew all three of those women from my time in Nashville. Um, and so Katie and Flo were talking about writing it, writing a kid's book together and doing Mm -hmm. prayers for kids. And they approached me, um, sort of through the process, we decided, well, let's just all, let's all write it together. So we all three kind of, um, would one of us, we divided that we each wrote a ton of prayers for kids, way more than ended up in the book. And then we would kind of pick our favorites and workshop them. And then we got together on Zoom and would edit each other sort of in real time. And um, so it was a really collaborative process and fun to do that together. And then, but that's kind of how it, it happened. That is, that's such a fun story. And I mean, as I, I loved the book and I loved, um, like you even had, a prayer for kids who need to they're like served something to eat that they don't like like yes. just all these like yes <laughs> little tiny things and as I was reading it I was like I want a book like this for me <laughs> have you have you thought about writing a book of prayers for adults um uh, I didn't although um I am hoping that adults will use this too. Yeah. I am, like there's a prayer in there. I, by the way, I'm, I love that you like that prayer because that was I that was partly my idea because we were writing prayers for eating and I thought it's just such a different experience when you're thanking God for something you're just super excited about eating versus right. thanking God for something that you you're like I don't really want to eat this and so much more for kids right yeah. because we do highs and lows around our dinner table every night. And multiple times the low of the day for our middle daughter is whatever we're eating. Like it's her low. (laughs) And I just think, man, like that could never, I, I mean, maybe she's just had really good days and there's not much to complain about, but I'm like, I mean, I just could always find something worse than what I'm eating. I feel like, but that's a big deal for kids, you know? And so, um, yeah, but, um, there's this prayer, um, that actually Katie wrote originally, we don't, we don't have our names or anything on which ones we wrote, but I'm going to give her credit because it's so good, but it's a, it's a prayer for making Hmm. and I just love it. And I know, um, my editor, Cindy, my editor for adult books, Cindy, um, she went on a retreat, a spiritual retreat and, and they were doing art and stuff. And she prayed 
she she pulled out our prayer for making so and great. prayed it as an adult, right? There mm-hmm. were no kids around. So I really do hope that adults will pray these prayers and yeah. maybe pray them with their kids if they mm-hmm. have kids or maybe just get them on their own. And because and, there's some, like there's a prayer for trying new things yeah. that I love because I have, I have definitely anxiety about trying new things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it's, I just really love it. Um, so I haven't thought about a prayer book for adults, partly because I feel like Doug McKelvey did it. Like he, he had every moment. It is, it is um, a, yeah, that's a good book. And, and then he has a second volume of every moment holy, um, out. I think that's about kind of grief and loss. Anyway, I feel like that's it. I mean, that, that's, that it's very similar, um, particularly the, this book is about kind of prayers for everyday life for prayers mm-hmm. for ordinary life. Um, and that idea came because, um, they, Katie and Flo were sort of thinking of those ideas, but I wanted basically to somehow translate concepts from liturgy of the ordinary into, to the age range of this really began as like four to eight. I think it's yeah. older than that now, but it's, I mean, I think older kids could get into it, but, but I didn't, it didn't, I didn't want to sit a four-year-old down and go, your habits make you who you are. And (laughs) um, let's talk about daily liturgies and let's talk about how ordinary life matters to God. Like it felt, in other words, there's nothing wrong with that, but to make it purely didactic, it felt like I was giving kids, it felt like to translate liturgy, the ordinary to children, I didn't want to do it in a, in a, in a systematic or didactic kind of way. I wanted them to kind of the way that we learn God cares about the ordinary is through practices that teach us to engage God Mm -hmm in our everyday life, which is very much what Liturgy of the Ordinary is about. It has all kinds of practices. I mean, the whole book is kind of holding together how liturgies of our, of, of kind of liturgies, habits, practices of our daily life and the gathered liturgy on Sunday interact and play with each other and inform one another and, um, and, and transform us, right? So we embody both of them as different kinds of people. So who we, what we do on Sunday changes who we are through the week, but what we do through the week also changes who we are on Sunday. Right. And so, um, I, I didn't want to just tell kids that like, okay, thank you for the lesson. Right. I wanted there, I wanted a way to sort of, um, invite children into discovering that, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And it, it feels like giving them these moments of prayer in their day is an invitation to bring God, not to bring God, that's the wrong way of saying it because God is there, but to um, to recall and open oneself up to the presence of God, like in the midst of having food that you don't really like that you still have to eat or in the midst of seeing a bird, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of our prayers or in the midst of doing homework or at the end of the day or um, so, yeah, it was kind of a way for me to translate liturgy, the ordinary, that was instead 
of a lesson was more of a um, giving kids actual practices. Yeah. The other thing I'll say, I had, when I was deciding whether or not to enter into this project um, with Flo and Katie, one thing that kind of kept coming back to me is when I was little, when I got baptized as like, I was a Baptist. So it was like age six or something. Mm -hmm. A deacon in my church gave me this little book of prayers, um, which is unusual, right? In a Baptist context, because we don't really read uh, other, we don't use other people's prayers, right? Uh So in many ways, that was, I think my first experience with received prayers from Mm. other people besides the Lord's prayer. Um, and I loved this book of prayers as a kid. I, it meant so much to me. I don't know. I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember the name of it, the writer. I don't remember anything, but I remember that I loved reading this and that it felt important. It felt somehow grown up, like Mm. mature and it felt safe. Um, So I remember sleeping with this book of prayers when I would get scared at night, I would sleep with the book of prayers. Um, So the idea that I could offer something like that, that meant so much to me as a child to somebody else was really compelling to me. So um, in other words, I wasn't just wanting to write a book of prayers and then ended up doing it for children, like something about putting this in small hands meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, so I was really drawn to the actual idea of, of doing it with kids. That's such a beautiful story. Thanks. I love it. I love it that you had that experience and that that was kind of the seed for this, this book. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, as I was reading little prayers for ordinary days and thinking about kind of what that is like, especially right now in pandemic times. I think you've, you've said this before. I don't know. I've I've gotten this sense from you that paying attention to everyday moments, that that's really, it's so important to uncover or to acknowledge God's presence in there. And you really do that with these prayers. You kind of help shed light on those, um, those moments And I feel like that practice has become exponentially more important in pandemic times. Mm. And I'm curious to know like how, what, what that's been like for you over the past couple of years, especially, and if you have sensed that, um, that need to, to focus in on kind of the more granular moments of every day. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly have. I think the whole world has, it was right after the pandemic hit in 2020, there was this resurgence of sales in my book, but also Mm. um, like people, podcasters wanting to talk about it and stuff. Liturgy of the Ordinary. Of Liturgy of the Ordinary, right. Not Prayer in the Night. Prayer in the Night wasn't out yet. Wasn't out yet. Um, But Liturgy of the Ordinary was four years old at that point. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. old. So it was, but I think that when everybody's lot, everyone went on lockdown and everyone's life kind of, I mean, it was interesting. I said multiple times, it was interesting. There was this resurgence because in some ways it was like anything but ordinary, right? Like there's nothing about my 
book that that would have predicted a massive worldwide pandemic. Like that's mm-hmm. not ordinary. Mm-hmm. Thank God that's not ordinary. Um, so it wasn't an ordinary season, and 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 all this kind of very unique, strange, crazy things were happening on a geopolitical and global scale. Mm-hmm. But everybody's life like shrunk to the size of their home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was this interesting dichotomy that I think all of us felt this kind of like craziness raging in the world. But our response to that had to be to like close our doors, stay inside, live our life. And so we had to all enter into very quotidian rhythms Mm -hmm. just to survive, just to like keep sane in the midst of all of that. And that, and it all sort of shrunk down to our daily rhythms. And it also disrupted our daily rhythms, our normal daily rhythms. So everybody was kind of reevaluating what they wanted their new normal. I think we all got tired of hearing the phrase new normal, but (laughs) new normal to, to, to seem like or be like. So um, particularly during, we start, man, we started the pandemic in March, 2020. Like, you know, I'm an Anglican priest married to an Anglican priest. Like we were monastic. Like we had, you know, (laughs) we started with such high hopes of like, what I mean is like, prayer like we had prayer set we had prayer time set in the day that we would stop and do things as a family like we had certain rhythms like every day at four o'clock we had tea time where we would sit and have tea and talk about the day and we had these very specific kind of questions about like what was working about our day what wasn't working what rhythms working what what wasn't and what and this was the hugest one is like who do you need to reconcile with? Because we were all suddenly under the same roof. And there were days that we would just spend the whole time, everybody would have to apologize and reconcile with everybody else at the table. Like every single person had to reconcile for something because right. there was, so we would do that. Um, two years later, we're not, no, we're not doing any of that. So I want to say we started like so monastic and that fizzled relatively quickly. Um, so, I mean, that's what I should say is like, and this is people that don't know me well, read my books and think, I mean, I've seen, I've seen this happen. I've seen people who are like fans of my writing come and meet me in real life and be like a little disappointed because um <laughs> they, <laughs> like, because I think they think that you know my home will look like Instagram and um my children will come and be like it's time for noon noon prayer mother like what can can you know and um that it's this that my husband and I are sort of floating from spiritual bliss to spiritual bliss. And it is just like nothing like that. Like we, um, our home is messy. I feel like that's like a, that's like a trope now for like influencers to be like, Oh my God, I'm so messy. Like my life is crazy. (laughs) But, um, but I will just say like, it's not cute. It's embarrassing. And it's, um, and we, I mean, 
here's what I'm saying. I write what I struggle with. Like mm-hmm. the things that, like the reason I wrote this book is because I really, really wrestle with daily practices and mm. I really wrestle with finding meaning in the ordinary. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is there, but to wrestle out how, what I think about that, I have to write 40 to 50,000 words, you know? Mm-hmm. I, and so, um, and the same thing with Prayer in the Night, I wrote that book because I have this, I write this, um, so if we can't trust God, um, to keep bad things from happening to us, how do we trust God at all? Hmm. And I wrote that question and I didn't have an answer. And I just, I, I remember sitting at my computer and just saying, I don't know, I don't have anything else to say. I did this, this is like the first chapter of the book and I don't have an answer to that question. Hmm. And I walked away, I stopped writing. I didn't write for another week, two weeks, maybe. Um, which is unusual for me. And it, it, once I have a book project, I, I pretty much work on it at least every week, usually multiple times a week or every day. Um, but I just did, I just said, I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't have anything to say. And so the, really the rest of the book, I mean, I ended up writing 80,000 words, cutting it down to about 50,000, 40,000 something like that. Um, I had to do all of that work to have an answer to that question. Like the rest of the book is me wrestling with that question. So mm-hmm. my point is I generally the things I, once you publish something, everyone thinks you're the expert on that. And in some ways you are, because I spent years and years of my life thinking of this and reading mm-hmm. on this and struggling with it, but I'm, but the reason I was drawn to these topics to begin with is that this is a genuine struggle in my life. Yeah. So I would say I probably have less discipline, less daily, daily life and daily practices are more difficult for me than the maybe other people. Um, so all that to say, uh, yes, all the stuff in Liturgy of the Ordinary has become really pertinent to me during the pandemic, but because, but I have wrestled with it. Like, I certainly don't feel like, well, I got that nailed down in 2016 or 2015 when I wrote the book and now I'm good. You know, I think that, um, this is really something that I struggle with and wrestle with. And also life rhythms change. You know, we, we, Mm -hmm. um, we had this, I have a, I have a toddler now that uh, wasn't something I was expecting. Um, I wasn't expecting to have a toddler, a a newborn two years ago. And I I certainly wasn't expecting to have a newborn during a global pandemic. So all of that really changes um, daily rhythms and practices a lot. Mm -hmm. But the basic idea that God meets us in these small things and not just meets us in that, which is we all kind of agree, is the idea that this this moment is the moment of our formation. This is the moment that is shaping who we are, what we believe, and and is eternal in that sense. Um, 
that has been really, really important, I think, for me. That's a transform that that idea has transformed my life, I would say. Not as much as I wish it would, but um, but it but nonetheless. So yeah. Well, and it's what we all need to hear is that, you know, that every moment is the moment of formation. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that became more clear in the pandemic times when everything got a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have to say, I'm so glad that you wrestled with, you know, that question that turned into liturgy of the ordinary and then wrestled with your question going into prayer and the night, because, you know, I don't think any of us really want like an answer like a, mm. and here's the answer because yeah. it's not true, you know, that's right. Right. You want to truth and beauty. That's, you know, the, what you want to put out in the world and what you put out is your struggle with the ideas that is so relatable. So it resonates so much with us. I mean, I feel so glad that prayer in the night exists and mm. that, um, that you, you know, give an example of somebody who is, who's wrestling with this idea, who is persisting in faith, who is finding evidence of God there. And, but that it's not, it's not an, a tidy answer because that's not what our faith is about. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I don't think people want answers. I, of course, the, I need to nuance that. Some people, we want answers on some things. We want to yeah. know what we can know about God. But I think at the end of the day, people want God. I mean, people want encounter with truth, with truth, beauty, and goodness mm-hmm. in the person of God. And particularly about this question of why are, why do, why are bad things happening? I think I talk about this in the book, but people, what we, there's just, I've read so many philosophical treatises on this now and it's emotionally always unsatisfying to me Mm -hmm. and I and I realize it's because I want God to set things right I mean I just won't be fully there's no answer that you can give that is going to make me like okay with losing our son to miscarriage like it's I'm just never going to be okay with that um the book of the year it doesn't make it worth it I mean it's none of this it's like not it's just not okay. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that makes it remotely okay, it's not okay. I just, so I mean, it doesn't make it okay. But the only thing that makes it endurable is that I believe that Jesus will make things right. And I believe that Jesus will make him right. Like we'll yeah. make this, this baby that we lost whole. And, um, and that um, I'm not, I don't actually agree with, I've never said this out loud, don't fully agree with, with um, I don't know if it's Bilbo or another hobbit that says, um, will, uh, will everything sad become untrue? Because I don't think everything sad will become untrue. Mm. But I do think, because it's true, like all the sadness actually is real. But I think everything sad will be set right and redeemed 
and will be um, made whole. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the only thing that will make this okay. Yeah. And it's, um, so I'm not, I'm not going to be okay with it until then. Like what I'm wanting from God is action. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's what we're waiting for. And so there's no, there's no like any kind of attempt at giving me an answer short of that is going to be unsatisfying and come off as kind of pat. It's kind of a pat yeah. answer that, that disregards the actual depth of loss, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what people are wanting is, is God. Now I can't give them God in my books, <laughs> but I think that I can say, um, hopefully I am offering some picture of truth, beauty, and goodness, some actual, and, and some actual truth, beauty, and goodness through my writing. But I also think we can, um, see it, it's a, it's a, fellow journey or, um, or it's a, it's a, I'm also wanting and longing for God. And so, you know, um, it's a, it's a way to sort of say, here's my, here's my story of, of struggling with God and, um, and people can enter into that sort of with me and, and it meets, and that's why when people come to me and talk about this book, or liturgy of the ordinary, they talk about my writing for a minute. They usually, you know, if they're very kind and they're usually like, oh, I really, you're such a good writer. This means that much. And then that's it. They, the majority right. of time they talk, they'll, they'll start talking about their own lives, their own daily practices, their own things that they've gleaned and the, the way that looks in their own life or for prayer in the night, their own pain, their own struggle with the odyssey, mm -hmm. their own season of doubt and when God felt far away and what they did with that. So it's them sort of looking at my, me struggling with God. And then they immediately talk about their own ways that they're, and when I say struggling, that maybe that's too negative. I mean, struggling, but I also mean like learning and growing and yeah. being encouraged and like all of that is part of the, that. And um, yeah, I think yeah. that's what we're longing for more than any, more than sort of a, something we can like cross stitch on a, and put on our wall right. to make it okay. <laughs> yeah. So Tish, uh, you are a priest and you are also familiar with the readers at the well and the listeners to this podcast, women who are academics and professionals. And I just know from the conversations I've had that everyone's just trying to hold it all together these days with the waves of the pandemic and um, political conflict and just struggles. So I'm wondering if you have any spiritual encouragement that you can offer our listeners as we wrap up. Well, two things just kind of came to mind. I don't even know. Um, and I, I will say, so for the first thing is like solidarity sisters, like I get it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think, um, I think this time COVID has been um, spiritually difficult. I, I really believe that like on the world um, and, um, and, and we're tired and um, motherhood's been hard. Work has been hard. The, um, the political stuff is exhausting. Our 
country is really polarized. It's all been really hard. So I get, I feel all that and a hundred percent solidarity. Um, two things came to mind. We were talking to our daughters like a couple of weeks ago about they, they had watched, um, the Disney movie, um, about the frog, um, what princess is and the frog princess, yeah princess, princess and the frog and so they were asking us about voodoo and we were telling them about voodoo and um they and we were talking about spirits and evil spirits and and it led to this conversation and they they particularly our little one our the younger daughter our nine-year-old said um that was talking it was really scary right mm. it was really scary and um and we talk to her about the verse he who is in you is greater than he is in the world Mm -hmm. and I think um and I am like like was Presbyterian for almost my whole formation and then um and Anglican so like I am not a Pentecostal I am not like super charismatic but I I'm becoming more so as I get older. And I do think like you cannot look at what's happening in the world right now and not think there is like profound demonic things at work, like deep, deep spirits of division and um, just antipathy and hatred. And, but also like there is a global pandemic. Like there's death is, is encircling the world. Um, and it is revealed. So it's, it has been a judgment. I don't mean that God sent this as a judgment, but I mean, like it has revealed these, this deep inequality in our Mm -hmm. society that is wrong. Um, it's revealed, um, (laughs) you know, the pandemic, um, COVID exacerbates pre-existing conditions. And I feel like in our culture, like in our societal issues, it exacerbated all the pre-existing conditions that yeah. it didn't create them, but it definitely revealed them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, but the, uh, but Jesus is still more powerful than the spirit of death and then death itself. Um, so when I talk about death, I'm not talking about just cessation of life, which we've seen a lot of, but I mean, like when the scriptures talks about death, it's talking about the power of death, like the power of white supremacy, the power of sin, right? Mm -hmm. So that looks like giant structures of sin and greed. Um, but also like the little white lie you told that, um, is, is still part of deception, right. Is still part of this overall structure of flesh in the world. And so, um, that truly Jesus is still more powerful than all of that. Um, and that Jesus promised that in this world, we would have trouble um, but to take heart or be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. I think um, that Christians being people 
who can be truly of good cheer, not in a kind of happy, clappy, like trite sort of way, but people really marked by the fruit of the spirit because we are, as you know, we said earlier, abiding and we're grounded in who Jesus is, is countercultural in this moment. And um, so I feel like you asked me this with spiritual encouragement and I'm giving you a fifth grade Sunday school or, you know, a first grade Sunday school answer, which is like Jesus. But I do think it's the um, most important one. (laughs) (laughs) uh, This morning, I was talking to a friend who's starting. I have a friend who is starting this small group that is committed to particular monastic disciplines, prayer being the main one, but, um, there it's centered on prayer, rest, study, and labor. And they're all, it's a group of friends that are coming together around these things, having some common life together and, but also deep friendship and love. And, um, I just said like, this is, this is, it feels like a lot of the large institutions in our society are, are failing. The Mm -hmm. church in America in so many ways is just sick. It is sick. Mm -hmm. Our institutions are sick. Our denominations are sick. Like they're, they're struggling. Um, and, and I don't just mean numbers. I mean, in terms of um, just factions and, and darkness and uh, all the struggles that the SPC and my own denomination and the ACNA have had with um, mishandling of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in the Catholic church as well. Um, the sort of deep divisions around theology that are very real and important. Mm-hmm. So the church is like struggling. The government, I mean, has just like pit the both parties have have failed in so many ways in the last years in their response to the pandemic and the polarization we see in society in being really driven by greed and ignoring the immigrant like both of parties have really failed so we're just seeing so many of the institutions of society kind of collapsing and i think that the church has to be willing to in some ways be smaller and quieter but weirder and more faithful like more countercultural mm-hmm. and not in a culture rejecting kind of way i just mean by literally like seeking to embody the fruits of the spirit uh, yeah. i think that that will make us different mm-hmm. so what i'm saying is i was talking to this friend who's starting this little this group centered on prayer and these disciplines and life together and friendship and i think um what I said is like, this is the only thing, when you look through church history, my husband is a church historian, when things are really falling apart, the stuff that God uses are these like small groups of people who love each other and commit to scripture and prayer mm. and life together. And you just see it over and over. And there's so much hope in that. Andy Crouch has an amazing book coming out called the life that we are looking for, the life we're looking for. Um, I don't know when, I think it comes out in like April, but um, I've read it. And he talks about this little community in Romans that is described at the end of Romans, right? And Mm -hmm. with um, 
there's Phoebe and Tertius and Paul. And um, anyway, so he talked about this community described in Romans. And what, and what he said is that what's so interesting is if you were actually there in the first century, you, the, this little tiny group of people, this group of friends would not matter. Hmm. And it seems like their work would not matter. Like everything that felt real and big was the Roman empire, hmm. was the power that the, that had, that was the power of the military might, um, was the power even of these smaller groups that were rebelling against Rome, you know, this, this, this sort of counter military power that was mm -hmm. happening. So all of that seems like what mattered. And it just seemed like this group was doing that, like, what are they doing? Right. Um, it did not seem important spiritually or any, in any other way to the, to your average citizen of the Roman empire. But now 2000 years later, we can see that like, nobody is talking about Caesar Augustus. No one is talking about Julius Caesar, right? right? <laughs> and, and this little group in Romans changed the entire world. Mm -hmm. And so, and, the, and they, they would probably be shocked to know that, right? I think they do know that in the great cloud of witnesses, yeah. but I think they would be shocked. So I think, um, what I'm saying is that it's, it's these, but why is it? Cause they were super special. No, it's because like the spirit of God was at work yeah. in this small, quiet way. And I think as the giant barges of institution in a, in our American society, our institutions kind of, um, start to break apart and sink it's going, we're going to need, um, the church to, to be, to have little lifeboats, um, of just rescue, uh, yeah. these small, quiet, um, acts of the spirit. Um, and, and so be part of that. I mean, that would be my encouragement is to to be part of that and trust the results to God, because you, we just have no idea what, what the spirit will do. Tish is a pretty special person, and I'm so glad you got to hear this conversation with her. I'm really taking to heart her encouragement to listen and trust the spirit's work, even when my actions seem small and insignificant. We hope you might consider purchasing one or two or three of Tish's books. Remember this discount code for 30% off at ivypress.com. Just type in WELL22, W-E-L-L-2-2, when you place an order before February 23rd. And we hope you'll also consider supporting our ministry during our matching grant campaign that ends that same day, February 23rd. You can find all the details about these things and many of the other things we discussed in this interview at the article page for this episode at the Well. .intervarsity.org. And if you listen all the way to the end of the credits, I've included a lovely bit from this interview that landed on the cutting room floor where Tish talks about the true meaning of success. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. 
We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 a month, which will be matched dollar for dollar if you sign up before February 23rd, 2022. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this wisdom from Tish about success. You can't exactly achieve success. And what I mean by that is, um, I mean, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I'm very grateful for what's happened with my books. I'm, I, I do, I, I feel some level of success. So that's, I'm not naive about that. <laughs> that said, the goalposts always move, yeah. right? They always move. It can't ex- exactly be then any kind of external marker that, um, that in other words, it has to be about faithfulness to God, first and foremost, becoming the sort of person who can live joyfully in the world, whatever you're doing, but also like the work itself. Like I want to continue to grow in the craft. I want to be a better writer. I want to um, be more rooted in truth and more but I mean, the verse that comes to mind that I always pray is like, send forth your light and your truth and let them lead me. Mm-hmm. And I, I pray that in the writing process, I want there to be truth that I'm saying this, but also light, like beauty, um, something luminous about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's kind of more and more the goal. And that has to continue to be the goal. Um, because there'll be a time where I'm not writing for the New York Times. And it, if I'm not if if you're not enough without kind of these outward signs of success there's just never going to be enough outward signs of success to make you enough and so um i have a lot of dreams for my life that have nothing to do with writing mm-hmm. or my career and so it it does there's just a lot of other things I'm really interested in, um, which allows me to say like for this season of my life, I, it really seems like this is where God's calling me, but this might not be every season and that's okay too. Actually, that's kind of great.
No, I mean, I've been thinking about that as I see your column come out. I'm like, this must be totally different to feel like you need to come up with a fresh idea every week. Like how have your, I mean, COVID aside, how have your, your writing practices and habits changed? Yeah, this is, it's been, um, unlike anything I've done before, I've never written this frequently. Hmm. Um, I have at times written every day. I mean, when I've been right, cause I've written two books. Um, and even as I was writing the books, um, was writing a column for CT or mm-hmm. writing for just various outlets. So it's not unusual for me to write daily. Mm-hmm. Um, what's unusual is, um, to write daily, to write weekly on a different topic and mm-hmm. also, um, that I don't have a choice. I, I write daily now, whether I want to or not. Um, so, uh, um, and I write daily for longer periods of time. I, I write, I write kind of all day. So, um, that's been really different. Um, I'm still learning what's sustainable because you can't, no one that I have met or heard of can genuinely actually write for eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, you just can't produce that much. And so, um, figuring out where in the week I'm doing research or reading versus podcasts like this versus mm-hmm. um, I'm still doing stuff with with my church. Um, and so, you know, meeting with people, uh, working with my diocese or talking to my bishop versus, you know, writing. Um, and so we're, I'm still sort of figuring out rhythms like that. Um, and um, I mean, it's been a joy to get to write on all kinds of topics. Um, But I do feel, I remember um, David Brooks one time said that he searches for things to write about, like other people search for food and water. And it does feel like that. It feels like it's just sort of like, I am, I am constantly kind of, um, my curiosity has to be on at all moments about kind of what to um, write about and what to think about. A huge um, help has been that I've really largely gone off Twitter um, Mm. just honestly, because there wasn't time. I mean, I just, I had to open up time somewhere and I still have three babies that I really want to be with. Um, in the evenings and weekends and, um, and whenever I can during the day. So, uh, when I say three babies, I mean, they're two of them are sure, but not babies at all. They're they're still your babies. um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, so anyway, it's been a huge life shift for sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I read about your, your going off Twitter and it's inspiring in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the one more inspiration to reduce social media consumption. Um, 